you can start turning to Exodus chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. And if you, don't, and if you need one, look really confused at somebody sitting around you, and they'll run grab you one. We're going to be a little bit all over the place today, so I hope your fingers are warmed up. This is going to be really weird. I'm going to be like preaching in stereo, because both these sections are packed. But nobody, I guess you're afraid that my, my, like right here, come on, like, I guess my breath is that bad. Is that, is that what we're saying? Okay, cool. Thank you for that confirmation. That was... I wasn't really looking for confirmation on that, but I appreciate it nonetheless. All right, uh, let's pray real quick. And thank you, Ken. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's pray real quick, and then we'll get started. God, I'm just so excited at how you are moving in the lives of people in this church. I'm so excited to hear of the ways that you are changing hearts and you are conforming us to look more and more like your son. And it's just so exciting to know that that you have, you have answered prayers that we have prayed in this church. We've prayed, God, send us kids, and you've sent us kids. God, we've prayed, send us, send us workers, send us, send us some, some mature adults, and you've sent us those. And we've prayed, God, change hearts, save people in this place, and we see that you continue to be faithful to do that as well. So God, we are just so excited, and we rejoice to know that you continue to do all of these things. And God, I pray that as we, as we talk about how you answer these promises, how you continue to prove yourself to be faithful over and over again, I pray that our response to the words that we're going to read today and hopefully the way that your spirit moves in our hearts today would not be to kind of solemnly sit back and just be like, that feels good, but that our response would be to celebrate to be amazed at what you've done, to be overwhelmed and overjoyed at the work that you are doing in this place. So God, I pray that you would inspire our response to your word this morning and that you would cause us to be a church that is so overwhelmed and so filled with joy that the world around us would, would, would be so confused as to why on such a kind of gloomy, rainy day there are this many people who are this excited to be together on a Sunday morning. So God, work in our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, kind of alluded to it in that prayer a little bit, but we're talking about how God fulfills His promises this morning. So we've been going through this Advent study, and for those of you who haven't been here every week of this, as we're kind of moving toward Jesus and, and the story of Jesus' coming here to be with us, all those things that we just sang about Him, all of those things about Him being God on high, all-powerful, all-knowing, and Him subjecting Himself humbly to come serve us and, and live here among us in this place, amongst the sin, amongst the brokenness, amongst whatever it is that, that we have come up with to kind of distort and destroy what God had created. Right? Right? As, as he came down here, we're, we're kind of remembering that he came. Right? We talked about how Advent meant, meant arrival or coming. And we're, and we're taking this time of year, this month, to kind of remind ourselves all of the implications, all of the things that God says about himself when Jesus comes here. All of the things that we can learn about God and all of the ways that we should be responding to Him 
when he sends his son here. Now, we're not quite going to get to Jesus actually being here today. But I'm going to try to build a case about how God is faithful. God, fills, God fulfills his end of the bargain. When he says he's going to do something, when he says he's going to act in a certain way, he does that. And I think that's a really important message for us to continue to have you know, kind of spoken into our lives because all around us are people who are inconsistent and who will let us down, right? Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a parent. Maybe it's, maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's, maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Who knows what it is? But we all have people in our lives and unfortunately, some of us probably more than others. But we all have people in our lives who have let us down or inevitably will let us down. And the more we see those, I mean, I, I, was, I was joking because I, I kept saying, I don't really have the perfect intro for this sermon this week. I don't know what it's going to be. And I kept trying to rack my brain and I, and, and I just kind of threw something out when I was talking to dad before. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go with this. We'll go with this. If somebody promised me a can of Pringles and then did not give me a can of Pringles, I would not like that person very much. Replace Pringles with whatever. I just said Pringles because I was thinking about how long it's been since I've had a can of Pringles. If that means I get like 16 gift-wrapped cans of Pringles next week, that would be amazing. I see all the wheels turning. How can, we, how can we make this a bad thing? Okay. I don't want snakes to come popping out of the can. But if somebody, right, but if somebody consistently says, hey, I'm going to do this thing for you, and they keep letting you down, or hey, I'm going to, hey, dear, I'll wash the dishes, and then I keep letting you down on washing the dishes, I say I, because that's always me that doesn't do the dishes when I said I would, right? Over time, you reinforce in somebody, especially, especially like our kids, Right? Like if I, said, if I said to Ellie, hey, this is something that we're going to do. Or, hey, if you do this, there will be this consequence. And I don't follow through. If I am continually inconsistent with the things that I say to her, all I'm teaching her is that there are a lot of inconsistent people and you really can't trust anybody. Right? That is the truth that I'm teaching if I am inconsistent with my, with my kid as I am raising her. And that's the same way that that we kind of train one another to feel about the people around us. Hey, I've let you down again. Don't worry about it because everybody lets you down, and that's just the truth that we all need to realize. Nobody is consistent. Nobody is trustworthy. Everybody is going to fail you. That's kind of the truth that oftentimes we are met with, especially in our, our sinful and broken world now. But, but what I want us to look at today is I want us to see how when God makes a promise, He is not like that. He does not let us down. If He says, I will punish you if you do this, that's what happens. But if He says, I want to do this thing for you, which is where we're focusing, which is what we're looking at as we're moving towards Christ's coming down to, to, to serve us, to love us, to be here for us, to be here physically with us, as we're looking at that kind of promise, right? I want us to see how much that should impact us as we realize that, that God said, I'm going to send my son, and he, and he came. And this whole time, we've been kind of using these 
Old Testament stories, these Old Testament um, promises that God's been made, making to kind of see, to kind of build this case for us. So you should already be in Exodus chapter 1. If you're not, you can go ahead and be turning there. I don't have it marked, so you have a second, because it will obviously take me forever. All right. So, so when we last left, um, Abraham had... So, so God had made this promise to Abraham. Hey, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And, and last week we talked about how sometimes we have to wait a long time for those promises to be fulfilled. He said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And they tried to come up with all sorts of ways to help God make a nation out of him. But ultimately, God had a very specific plan for Abraham. You are going to have a son with your wife, Sarah, and that is going to be the son who's the heir to this promise that I've made to you. Well, a few generations later... Um, the children of Abraham are around 70 people. We're going to read this in just a second. They're around 70 people. And in the land that they are currently living, there is this famine. Through, through a story that is very long and convoluted that I'm not going to get into all the specifics, Jacob, um, Abraham's grandson, is, is sitting there with 11 of his 12 sons thinking that one of his sons is dead because his brothers sold him into slavery and told their dad that he died. So he's in a really rough place. He's lost one of his sons. He has no food. They have no way to to eat. And so they say, we're going to have to go seek the help of the greatest world superpower that the world had known at that time, Egypt. Go to Egypt and see if you can find help for us. So the brothers go. Lo and behold, and again, I'm not going to get into all the details of the story. Their brother Joseph was now like the second in command in Egypt. And they didn't know this. And they come to him and they say, we need help where there's famine back here. And Joseph says, yes, go get dad, go get the family. You guys all come live here with me and we will take care of you. God was going to protect his promised family in this way. He was going to save them from this famine. So in Exodus chapter one, here's what we see. This is this is as they are kind of entering in to Egypt. We read this. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that's Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation But, and this is the important part, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So here's the thing. It kind of seemed, it could have very easily seemed to Jacob and all of his sons that this is where the promise of God is going to fail us yet again. Like we've hit yet another rough patch. This is it. I don't know what God's going to do. There's no food. We're all just going to die here of starvation, and God's going to have to come up with a new plan because obviously there is no solution. But it turns out that God had taken one of Jacob's sons, had him sold into slavery so that he might become a ruler in Egypt, that God might welcome his chosen people, that family, into the protection of the greatest world superpower they had known at that time. And that there they could kind of be treated as though they were in an incubator, right? They were kind of this weak, fledgling life of of a nation, of a people. 
that God took and put in the most protected place he possibly could. And it says, God was faithful. They were fruitful and increased greatly, multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. So the, listen to this, so that the land was filled with them. Here's the thing. By the time Israel would leave Egypt, they went from a family of 70 people to over 2 million people. So God is saying, God is saying, yes, there are some bad circumstances around you, but I am still going to be faithful to fulfill my promise. He said, I will increase, he said this to Abraham, I'm going to increase your numbers greatly. You are going to be a great and mighty nation. And it kept seeming like, when's that going to happen, right? When are we going to get to see that? We're still just this group of four or 70 or what? Like, that's not a nation. But, but God, God, God brought Israel into that place. He put, them, he put them in the protection of Egypt so that he could finally do the work of growing them exponentially. And now you have this, this group of, of like two million people, this, this huge nation that is so large that they became a threat to Egypt. Like, like the Pharaoh over Egypt became so afraid that they were growing so quickly that they were ultimately going to rise up and overtake him. And so he forced them into slavery. And you're thinking, wait, that's not the promise of God. That's not what he said he was going to do. But God had not forgotten his people. We keep seeing these instances where, where God has made a promise, but then the people that he's made the promise to kind of get brought to their lowest and most humble point right before he does something amazing with them. Right before he, he, gives, he shows them, here's the next step in my fulfilling this promise, in my being faithful to you, in my answering the things that I've said that I would do. So, so though they're sitting there in slavery, God had a plan. He raised up a man named Moses, who he said, who he called out from the people, and he said, I am going to use you to lead my people out of slavery. And, it's, and it's, it honestly is one of the, I think, coolest stories in the whole Bible. Um, it's just so amazing to see how God kind of single-handedly targeted all of these false gods that Egypt believed in and kind of and kind of showed that he was greater than, more powerful than those. And eventually, slowly, through hardening the heart of Pharaoh, but also breaking him down, um, was able to cause Pharaoh to let Israel go and allow Moses to lead them out of Egypt. And so, Moses leads this, this two million plus group of people out of Egypt and they end up wandering through the desert for 40 years as they kind of wind their way toward this place that God ultimately said is their home, right? He's called them out of Egypt. They're now this, this sizable group that's kind of wandering aimlessly without a place to live. And, and as they're slowly getting there, they're almost, they're almost home. Moses kind of reflects back on what God has done for them. Go ahead and start turning to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Um, because Moses, having led them through all this, and again, his relationship with them is fantastic. Because it's like, I love them, I want good for them, but man, they're frustrating. That's often how Moses seems to feel about Israel, which I think is probably reflective a bit of how God feels about us sometimes. Man, I love them. Man, I want good for them. But man, they're frustrating to deal with sometimes. 
right? So, so the people have been wandering through the desert for 40 years. And just as they're about to enter the promised land, Moses is kind of giving them a few of the final thoughts before he hands off leadership and lets them go on into the promised land. So in Deuteronomy chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. Um, Moses is just kind of looking back on what happened in Egypt. So Deuteronomy, I turned two pages instead of one. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And I'll stop right there. So we see a picture of a God that's not doing this because he hates Egypt. Or he's not doing this just because he can. He actually loves these people. He actually wants good for these people. He actually desires to see this promise that he made be fulfilled for them that they might have a home. He wants to see all of these things happen in their lives. But more so, we see a God who, unlike the people that are in our lives sometimes, unlike the people that we may let down, Unlike, unlike the inconsistent parent that I could sometimes be, where I promise, yeah, we'll do this, and then I don't do this, or, or whatever it may be. You may have a relationship that you're thinking of. It's like, I have been an inconsistent person. I have, I have let this person down time and time again. What we see more is that Moses wants to reinforce to Israel as they're going into Egypt don't lose sight of the fact that God has made all of these promises to you. And every single promise that he's made, he has kept. He said to your fathers, I'm going to make a nation. And here you are, two million plus strong. He didn't pick you when you were big. That would have been easy. He could have said, I'm going to make a great nation out of Egypt. That's not impressive. They were already powerful. They were already large. He took a small group. That's what he said. He took, he took the smallest of groups and he said, I'm going to do something amazing with you, even though you were nothing. And he made something out of it. He said, I'm going to give you a home. And Moses is saying, look, you're coming into this home. He saved you from slavery. You were in a bad state, but he called you out of that. And he is placing you where he all, of a, all along had been promising that he would place you. So out of all of the nations of the world, Israel had been uniquely called. And that's the thing, is it was not that he just kind of picked the winner when he saw where they were. He chose them while they were seemingly weak and seemingly insignificant, and he did something amazing with them. But here's the point that I'm trying to make today. And we're going to go ahead and jump into the New Testament a little bit. Um, that promise didn't just end when Israel moved in to the promised land. It didn't just end when they, 
when they kind of settled in and, and that promise that he had made to Abraham was fulfilled. Because if you'll remember, when he made that promise to Abraham, there was more to it than just, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to give you a home. It was, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a home. And through this nation that I'm going to make, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That, that, that ultimately, through Christ, and ultimately, through, well, through the nation of Israel, and then through Christ, God is promising that He's going to bring hope to all the nations of the world. This promise extended beyond just physical Israel. So go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 3. This is basically a sword drill this morning. Are you already there? You just anticipated it? Hmm? Galatians chapter 3. This is great. I love this. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 29. Let me say that one more time for you, Ben. 27 through 29. This is Paul talking to us. This is a message for the church. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So, so what Paul is saying is, for Israel... Their whole hope had been, oh, we're children of Abraham. God's chosen us. God loves us. And there had become some separation in that. It's like, that was a promise made just for us. That wasn't a promise made for the rest of the world. And they got very, very nearsighted. Or far, one or the other. Nearsighted? We'll go with nearsighted. Nearsighted sounds good. Yeah. They got locked in. They got locked in on what was right in front of them. And they said... No, no, this is good for us, and we don't care about them. We're concerned for our own good. And, and they began to say, our identity is wrapped up in being related to Abraham physically. Our hope is in our, hope is in our genetics. Our hope is in our DNA. Our hope is in our, our family. And what Paul is trying to say is, through Israel, yes, God was sending his son. Christ was going to come, but it's because Christ came that salvation is made available not just to Israel, but to the world, to all the nations. And what he's saying is, once you're in Christ, your identity is no longer wrapped up in being physical Israel. Your identity is wrapped up in being children of God. Heirs to the promise through Christ. The, the promise that when we, two weeks ago, when we were looking in Genesis 3.15, when God said... God said, uh, he will bruise your heel, but he will, he will strike your head, right? When he made this promise that ultimately I'm going to fix salvation. He said, I'm going to send a perfect solution for the sin problem. From the moment that we sinned, God was already promising a solution. And what, we're, what, what Paul is saying is, that's the promise you all ought to be putting all your hope in. Not just that he's going to give you, give you a nation and a land, that you can have, right? It's not just that you freak out about the property that you, that you own and that you live on and that your identity is wrapped up in that, 
that your, your genetics say you're an heir to the promise of God. He's saying that promise has always been intended to go beyond that. That promise has always been intended to be a, a solution to our brokenness and our separation from God due to the sin that is in our lives. And what he's saying is, because God fulfilled that original promise made to Abraham, we see how that really starts to play out. He promises to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to call you out as a people. I'm going to make you this unique group through which I'm going to save the world. And all that means is, through that group, he was going to bring about his son. And his son was going to offer salvation to all of us. So, so yes, Israel were the chosen people of God, but what, what, what Paul is trying to say is, so is the church today. We are also the chosen people of God. It doesn't matter where you come from, what color your skin is, whether you're a man or a woman, rich, poor, if you've been saved, you're part of the same promise that God made to Abraham, that he has already shown himself to be faithful to fulfill over the course of thousands of years. God has been showing himself to be consistent and faithful for thousands of years. And that same promise extends to you. So we have no need to doubt God's promises. When God says, if you pray for my will to be done, it's going to happen. We have, we have no fear of praying that God would change hearts and save people because he said, if you pray that I will change hearts and save people, I will change hearts and save people. If, you, if we pray that God would glorify himself through this church, he is going to glorify himself through this church. We don't need to be afraid of that. If you have been here for any, any prayer night that we have ever had as a church, and we've probably had 15 at this point, I don't know, maybe that's a lot, 10, something like that. There are these Sunday nights where we just get together and we just write out things that are on our hearts, things that we're hoping God would do or ways that we're hoping God would change us. And we all just kind of spread out around the room and we pray for those things for like an hour and a half or two hours. Correct me if I'm wrong. Every single time we've had a prayer night, we have seen God directly answer at least one of those prayers. Sometimes very quickly. I, I said it when I was praying at the very beginning. We prayed that God would send us kids. The next week, the whole neighborhood came over. <laughs> it felt like. We prayed that God would send us workers. And like a week later, boom, we're here. We want to serve. Why do we doubt these things? Why don't we, why don't we live that way all the time. Why don't we revel in the fact that God is so faithful to us? Probably because we attribute the relationships with the people that we have around us to God, and we kind of say, oh, God is kind of, or we, we, just, we just, we lose sight of who God is because we're so surrounded by inconsistency and people who don't really follow through. But I want us, as we look, at, like, like, this is why it's so cool to read the Old Testament. And this is why we've been reading the Old Testament on Sunday nights a lot. Because, because when we see 
all of the direct impact of God promising something and answering something, promising something and answering something. We, on this end, get to say, and then he's already fulfilled the ultimate promise of sending his son and bringing about salvation. Like, this is reinforcing to us how consistent he is. I love this verse. When I first wanted to start doing an Advent study, I wanted to read this verse. Turn to 1 Peter real quick. Ben, that's 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm just glad you're taking notes. You can tell me if I said anything wrong later. Where is 1 Peter? It's right before 2 Peter. There it is. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Think about this language, and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to read a section of what, of what Moses wrote to Israel. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Think about this, because we read this in Deuteronomy earlier. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. This sounds very similar. And now he's talking to us. So if you need to have it reinforced that this promise really was intended for us ultimately, look at, the, look at that. You were not a people, but now I have made you a people. Now you have been made a people. Israel is the perfect picture of the church, the perfect picture of salvation. Just like Israel was subjected to slavery for a time where God could grow them and build them up and prepare them to be the nation that he was calling them to be. So we have been subjected to the slavery of our sin, trapped in that, being made to realize that we are incomplete, that we do not yet have all that we need. And God calls us out of our sin and makes us his family. Right? We are made sons and daughters of God. And that is an amazing thought. But what are we supposed to do with that? He says it in verse 9. I'll read it again. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, question time. Do you see him as trustworthy? Do you see him as faithful? Does that resonate in you that he has made these promises to you to do great things with you and he is consistent and he will see those things through in you? Do you believe that? Do you see that every promise that he has made throughout history, he has been faithful to answer 100% of the time? Is that reality to you? Do you see that he did all of these things for us 
because he loves us, because he loves you. Right? A treasured possession. What do we do with that? We proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. I so want us to love this. Like, like I want us to feel this. I want us to feel what it feels like to be so loved by the creator of everything and him say, I'm here for you. I'm going to do great things with you. And I want us to respond to that in a way that makes sense. I want us to respond to that in a way that says, I believe that and I love what God is doing with me and I am so excited to do whatever it is that he's calling me to. But all I got to do is I got to make sure that you know how amazing he is. I want my life to reflect the excellencies of what he's done for me. I want my words to reflect how much I appreciate and love him for that. I want the way that I walk from one place to another to look like I've been changed by Jesus. Like something as simple as the way that you walk to the car in the morning, which is for me usually about like this. Right? Usually a little bit of eye rub. The way that you, the way that you drive to work, the way that you, the way that you order a coffee at the drive-through, the way that whatever it is that you do, I want our lives to be wrapped up in this. We've been changed and made a people by God because He loves us and He wants to do something amazing with us. Right? Like. I'm remembering when I, I've only ridden it once, but the first time I rode the new roller coaster at Dollywood, Tim was there. Tucker was there. He hears me. This was me and Tucker right after we got off. Who's ridden the new roller coaster at Dollywood this year? Anybody? Only dad? Okay. So dad can agree with me on this. Like, yeah, she tried. She broke it. It's her fault. Um, Here's the thing. When I got off, I was so amazed by what had just happened in my life. I am not lying. I was speechless. And that takes a lot. I got off, and we just kind of went, like, You could see it in our faces and in the way we walked and in the way we talked about that experience that we had been moved by it. We were, we were, we were emotionally responding because we had been changed by this thing that had happened to us. And we don't often experience those kinds of things, unfortunately. What's the, think through, what is an experience that you've had that you were just like, oh my goodness, 
I have to tell you about this. It was amazing. What is that? When was that? And when was the last time that it happened when you were gathering together with the body of Christ? And when was the last time that you were that excited to be made a child of God that you were just like, truth. When was that? Like we're laughing because it seems silly, but it's not silly. It's what we ought to be doing every moment of every day because we were not a people, but now we have been made a people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Once you were literally walking toward your own destruction. You were on death row. And then somebody said, no, you don't die today. No, you don't lose all of this. No, I love you and I'm going to take that for you. If we're in the church, that's who we are. That's what we felt. That's what we've had happen to us. Do we feel that? Does the way that we talk to each other reflect that? Does the way that we sing and we worship reflect that? I was looking at your set list, Nick. If they're not ready by the last song, we're in trouble. Because that is a perfect song for us to respond to this with. We're going to sing, it is finished. He has done it. Let your weary hearts rejoice. Am I getting the lyrics right? Our redemption is accomplished. Lift a shout with ragged voice. And go bravely into battle knowing He has won the war. Why can't I remember lyrics when I'm singing? We don't even sing that song. But the, listen to those. It is finished. Lift your hands. And I lost it. Lift your head. And weep no more. Thank you, Nick. Good job. That's truth. That's the gospel. That's what's happened in us. If you don't feel it, then we gotta talk some, we gotta talk something about the Holy Spirit. Because you need him in you. You need him to change you. You need him to, to wake you up, make you alive. We sang that too. We've been made alive. We should maybe act like it. We should maybe not just be dead. We should maybe actually respond during these times in, in big and, 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 and kind of silly ways. I said that next week was going to be the peps, pep talk sermon, but this one's turning into a pep talk sermon too. So just get ready for more of this next week. It's going to be awesome. Uh, because I want us to be excited about Jesus. I want us to be excited about the gospel being alive in us, and I want us to look like a church that is excited about what Christ has done for us. I, I'm going to read it again. Because once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is an amazing thing, and I'm going to pray, and I want us as the church to respond like a church that has been changed, a church that was dead and has been made alive, a church that was walking toward its own death, and God said, no, you're mine. I'm doing something else with you. A church that has a God who is going to fulfill his end of the bargain 100% of the time. Let's pray.